And at this time, we'll now turn our attention to the reading and the preaching of God's Word. And I'd like to invite Becky to read for us the passage. Our reading today comes from Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is in the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can we pray together? God, we ask for help today. I ask for help today. As we talk about our words, I confess I feel inadequate to speak on this matter, and so help us, God. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to perceive, hearts to receive the hard words that you have for us here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you to choose one word, one word to describe the current cultural climate in light of the recent events of the past year, what would you choose? I want you to think about the ethos, the mood, the preoccupations of our society. What would you choose? What would be the one word you would use to describe where we're at? Toxic. Toxic is the word that an old colleague of mine at the hospital chose when we last reflected on recent conversations concerning issues such as sexuality, healthcare policy, race, cancel culture. His choice word was toxic. Interestingly enough, in 2018, Oxford Dictionary's word of the year to summarize the ethos, mood, and preoccupations of our culture was also toxic. Summarizing who we were in their eyes and where we were going as a society, toxic was the word chosen by the secular minds of the past. And my colleague's assessment, which only happened a week ago, only shows us that not much has changed, but that the predictions were right on point. Through toxic words, a toxic world is revealed, online, offline, in our homes, in our offices, in our schools. We see here and live in a sea of constant reminders that the world has gone toxic. And what's worse is that we, we as people who live in this culture, we are part of the problem. You might say, what? I'm not part of the problem. No, 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 no. But just ask yourself, how did you respond to some of the recent injustices that have come to light? What were the words you used to express your indignation your disapproval, your disappointment. When racial injustices came to light, when the government said they're extending the lockdown yet again, when someone you trusted failed you, disappointed you, 
maybe even hurt you. What were your words? Some of us speak aggressively, while others may be passive aggressively. Either way, we're not immune to this. Even here at this church, we're not immune to this. As a pastoral intern and as director of small groups, I have seen people sling stones at one another as we fight over personal matters, as we argue over how we should respond to the injustices of our day. Spouses sharply criticizing one another, children and parents snapping at one another, friends gossiping about one another, congregants slandering those in leadership, whether political or religious. I'm not saying that we can't disagree, and I'm not saying we shouldn't speak up about the injustice we see. The issue is how, how, how we have been disagreeing. With toxic words, all of us have contributed to this toxic world. And if we are to have any chance of reversing course, we need help. And Proverbs 15 tells us where to go to help, turning us to God. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 to 10, gives us a foundation for wielding our words well and for taming the tongue. Sharing with us wisdom and insight on the power of the tongue, that's our first point, and revealing to us the source of that power, Proverbs 15 will give us the help we need to break this corrosive cultural pattern and even go against the grain to be agents of grace. Let's look at our first point, the power of the tongue. As we turn to Proverbs 15, we need to understand that these Proverbs are part of a wider collection of Proverbs called the Antithetical Proverbs. These are Proverbs that build on the foundations of chapters 1 to 9. To recap, chapters 1 to 9, we learn that there are two ways to live, the way of the wise and the way of the fool. And for those seeking to be wise, true wisdom is only to be found in God. Now, the antithetical Proverbs of chapters 10 all the way to 15 contrast the two ways to live, unpacking and dealing with how the wise person and the foolish person deals with certain circumstances in life, how they carry themselves through this life. In chapter 15 today, we're looking at our words. How does the wise person speak? How does the foolish person speak? Let's look at verses 1 to 4. Here we see the power of the tongue described. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but, that's your antithetical statement, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of the fool spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but Perversion in it crushes the spirit. When you read this passage, you can see the power of the tongue shining in many ways. Consider verses 1 and 2. In situations of conflict, which is something common to all of us, including the ancient Israelites, commentators J.A. Kitchen and Bruce Walkie observe that our tone and content, our substance and style, can have a great effect on the outcomes of such moments in life. In some, these verses teach us that our tongues have the power to make peace or to break peace. In verse 1, we see the gentleness marks the speech of the wise. Gentle means soft, delicate, tender. It implies a tone controlled by love and saturated with understanding. The fool, in contrast, is one who speaks harshly. Harsh in Hebrew connotes a, a sharpness and a pointedness that has the intention to, to cut down and to pierce. If you look at the negative emotions associated with these terms, we see with 
uh, with wrath, that is white-hot anger, the, the gentle-toned tongue, the tongue of wisdom is able to snuff out even a raging fire. This is peacemaking. The fool, on the other hand, with a poorly planned word, takes the glowing embers of anger and huffs into it. And it bursts it into an open flame. That's peace-breaking. That's the style we see here in verse 1 and 2. And in regards to content, verse 2 teaches us specifically that the wise makes knowledge acceptable. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? Makes acceptable has a dimension of beautifying words. If you look at the Hebrew, there's, there's this essence of, of beauty that's, that's included in here. So that it's able to entice people through love to consider the way that leads to everyone's flourishing. Everyone's flourishing. The way of the fool, in contrast, gushes or spouts out folly. It does the opposite of the wise person's word. It spews words that cause people to slip and slide and and to stumble. These are just two facets of the power of the tongue in a common situation in life. Words have power. The tongue has power. Verse 1 and 2 gives us a sense of that power in conflict. If you look at verse 4, it helps us see the power of the tongue in another hard situation of, in life, situations of hardship. What can the tongue do in situations where you're sitting opposite to someone who's facing deep loss or inexpressible grief? Verse 4 tells us. Look with me to verse 4, please. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in the tongue crushes the spirit. In other words, in situations of deep grief, sorrow, and even insecurity, your tongue has the power to help or to harm, to build up or to tear down, to cultivate or to cut. Soothing can be alternatively translated as healing. Healing. The word is used in relation to the tree of life. Does that term not sound familiar to you? We've seen it somewhere before. We've heard it somewhere before. We've heard it in Genesis and Revelation. In Genesis, we see the tree of life, which symbolizes flourishing, creation, life. In Revelation, the tree symbolizes flourishing, recreation, and new life. Proverbs 15 is saying, your words have life-giving, hope-recreating, soul-encouraging power that can take what is down in the dust and lift it up to newness of life. Have you ever been so discouraged in your life, sorrowful, Insecure, grieved, yet a gentle, tender word brought healing to your bones and hope to your soul. This is the power of the wise tongue at work. Now, contrast this to the wicked person. Their speech is called perverted. The the word here communicates a sense of twisted falsity. These are words with little constructive truth in them, empty platitudes that are meant to tickle your ears and lift you no higher than the dirt that you sit in. In the end, these words do nothing but crush the already defeated spirit. Have you ever experienced something like this? Already discouraged? Someone says something that does nothing but weigh you down and even make you feel worse. One way of speaking raises a person up. The other stamps the person down into the dust. This is the power of your tongue. This is the power of the tongue. Now, 
if you look at the text here, we see a very strange interjection in verse three, and it's quite halting. It divides the first two Proverbs from the proverb found in verse four. It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. The, the placement of this is unsettling. Why does the author interrupt the lesson on the power of the tongue with a sobering, sobering reminder that God is gazing at all of us with a sharp eye? Was this some kind of mistake on the writer's part? Maybe a, a biblical ADD moment? <laughs> No, 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 no. This was intentional. See, as motivation for us to carefully consider the words in Proverbs, the writer reminds us why this all matters. According to Proverbs, whether you believe it or not, see it or not, this world is God's world. We might live under the sun, but there's a God who stands above it all, and he's listening to our words and he's watching our ways. And as we will soon see, he's going to judge us accordingly. We'll talk more about this later, but throughout this set of Proverbs, you'll see interjections like this in verses three, six, eight to 10. And the whole point is to get us to just stop for a moment and to honestly assess ourselves with God's eyes. And so contemplating, contemplating the power of the tongue and having been halted to consider what God might be seeing as he looks at us, we need to ask ourselves a few hard questions. Firstly, how have I wielded my words in the last week? How have you wielded your words in the last week? Have I walked in the way of wisdom or have I been treading in the path of foolishness? Have I tuned my tongue to speak words of life or words of death? It's been said that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. According to Proverbs 15, that's a load of horseradish, or it's just not true. Some of the worst wounds in life comes from words, some of the darkest bruises from the lashing of a tongue. Some of the sweetest comforts come from honeyed lips, some of the best balm to the soul, to a bruised heart, is from a gracious tongue. This is the power of the tongue. Now, let's look at our second point. The second point is the source of that power. As we consider the source of that power, I, I think to a certain degree, our culture recognizes the tongue's power for the youth. You know, the youth in the room, you've learned about this. You've learned about the power of your words in school and at home. Adults, we receive regular workshops and have professional code of conduct refreshers from time to time to remind us to watch our words. Yet strangely enough, strangely enough, despite all our training and all our reminders, more often than not, we fall into the pattern of cutting down those around us with our words. Maybe it's a word of sharp criticism, the burn of sarcasm, gossip, false accusations, misrepresentation. We recognize the power of the tongue. Yet why is it that taming the tongue is still a problem for us today? Why is it that the, the, we live in an age where toxic, toxic of all words, is the adjective used to describe who we are and where we're going as a society? Verse 5 and 7 tells us exactly why. Please look with me again to verse 5. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Jump to verse seven. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of the fool are not so. Do you think that your struggle with words is simply an issue of discretion or lack thereof? Verse five and seven say, no, it's much deeper than that. Verse seven tells us how deep. Connecting the lips to the heart. 
We see an old principle shine through. Words reveal who you are. Words reveal what's really in your heart. Verse 5 might seem strange in its isolation, but if you look at verse 5 and 7 as a whole, you'll see that these verses actually just build on a foundation from earlier chapters, like Proverbs 4, verse 20 to 23. In Proverbs 4, we see a plea for a son to heed his father's instructions and to, to store them in his heart. Why? Why? Because from his heart flows everything above all else. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do, including the words we speak, flows from it. Proverbs 4. The Proverbs recognize that our words are barometers for our hearts. Verses 5 and 7 of Proverbs 15 is just pointing back to that principle. When we struggle with our tongues, this isn't because we lack a filter or because our tongues just slipped. According to Proverbs, it's because we have a broken heart, a sinful heart. A heart that needs healing. Jesus makes this very clear for us in the New Testament in another proverb of his own. Confronting the Pharisees for their untamable tongues filled with gossip, slander, and falsehood, Jesus asks, how can you who are evil say anything good for out of the heart the mouth speaks? That's right. I hear some of you saying, out of the heart the mouth speaks. You know this passage. In other words, toxic things come from toxic places. Toxic words come from a toxic heart. This is sobering. Are you someone who struggles with an unbridled lip? Someone who wrestles with a toxic tongue? Your words, according to Scripture, according to the Proverbs, are a mirror into your own soul. And so looking into the mirror, we've got to ask ourselves, what do I see? Looking in the mirror, what do you see? What do you see? I confess I felt grossly inadequate uh, earlier in my prayer, and I'm thankful that you guys prayed with me. Uh, you all prayed with me earlier in the sermon before we started. And the reason why I felt inadequate was as I looked in the mirror and reflected on my own words that flowed from my mouth, it revealed a heart that was deeply selfish this past week, impatient, ungracious, proud. It was an ugly picture that I saw. And everything in me wanted to justify myself. I didn't like what I saw. And if you look in the mirror yourself, you probably won't like what you see either. Yet, before we turn away from our reflections too quickly, Proverbs 15 wants us to see why this all matters. Remember how we talked about the various halting interjections that we saw in the text, all meant to motivate us and cause us to seriously consider what's being said here? This section has two of them. The first is in verse 6, and the second is in verse 8 to 10. Let me read them. Great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is in the income of the wicked. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination 
an abomination to the Lord, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. Looking at all these interjections, we see the assertion that as people living in God's world, we are not only watched by God, but we are judged by God. Why does this all matter? It matters because God judges us based on our words as they reveal the degree of baseness in our hearts. To the one who walks in righteousness, God says you are his delight. You are his precious love. To you will be great riches at the end of the age. Just a side note, the promise of riches in verse 6 is not to be absolutized, okay? Remember, Proverbs are dependently true today, ultimately true tomorrow. That is to say, there's no guarantee that you'll be blessed today in this life, but rather the full promised blessing is to be found in the next life. Proverbs assumes this world is God's world, and it belongs to God, and because God is eternal, there's a life that comes after that's eternal. And the blessing, the full blessing of great riches comes then. But what about those of us whose hearts are revealed to be brokenly sinful? What about people like me? Like you? People whose words show that we might not be where we want to be, nor are we where we should be. This proverb tells us that God is not happy with us. He does not like and find pleasure in the way we sling our words like stones. He confronts the superficially religious explicitly. Those of us who bless and sing songs to God on Sunday but cut down and curse others on Monday, God says, I see all of that. I see into your heart and I see your true colors. And the words that he uses to describe such a kind of living, such a way of living is abomination. It does not please him, and it stirs the recoil of his righteous indignation for those of us, for those of you who have looked in the mirror and see that you have wandered from the way. God is pleading with you, and God is warning you, watch your way, watch your steps. If you continue, there is only trouble on the horizon and punishment as your portion. Eternal death awaits the one who forsakes the way. Verse 10. Think about that for a moment, will you? So, what do we do? How do we move forward? What's the solution? Do we just try harder? Do we work harder to tame the tongue and to be better people? No, 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 that wouldn't be good enough. That's like taking an aspirin to mask the symptoms of a deeper heart issue that needs stronger treatment. The answer isn't to fix what's broken, but to replace what's broken all together. And before you think you can do that on your own, last I checked, nobody was able to do a heart transplant on themselves. Heart transplants can only be done by the hands of someone else, someone skilled, someone qualified. And this someone is God. The same God who sees is the same God who sends. The God who judges is the same God who saves. In sending his son down to us, Jesus came into the world with a message of peace, a word of peace, to heal a people destined for death. To use the language of Proverbs 15, it says in verse 1, it says that a gentle word or answer turns away wrath. 
Is it not strange that John's gospel in the first chapter says that Jesus is the Word made flesh, who ultimately, as we will see, turns away God's wrath if you keep reading the book of John? Bearing the sin of us folly-spouting people, Jesus stood under the watchful eye of God and climbed a tree of death so that we might eat one day of the tree of life. If you look at Proverbs 15, we'll see that Jesus was disciplined and crushed by a holy God for the sin of a people who refused the discipline reserved for them. Jesus bore the trouble destined for the wicked and sacrificed himself in our place. He became an abomination for us so that we might become the very delight of God. Jesus was forsaken and punished so that we who have forsaken the way might live. And in doing all of this, he qualified himself to not only be the one able, uh, he qualified us to be the only one able to give us new hearts of flesh. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. hear this word, I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give them hearts of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God, paying the penalty of our sin and also breaking the power of sin over us Jesus, with nail-pierced hand, is able to cut out our heart of stone and give us new hearts of flesh, hearts free from the bondage of sin and free to walk in the newness of life, hearts to, to sing sweet words of healing to a toxic world. Are you someone who's investigating the faith and tired of being part of the world's toxic problem and wanting to be a solution, wanting to be part of the solution? Turn to Jesus. Proverbs 15 points to Christ and points us to Jesus, to trust in him, to give our lives to him, because it's only in receiving this new heart that you are able to break free from the toxic cycles of this world. Christians, Christians struggling with your words, I want you to know that your heart transplant has actually already happened. You have a new heart and you really can live differently. In the eyes of God, you are a new creation, pleasing in his eyes because of the sin-bearing, death-defying, life-resurrecting work of Jesus. What we're talking about here is not a question of your salvation, but your endurance, actually, as a believer. You might wonder, why do I still struggle with my tongue, then, if I have a new heart? Uh, In medicine, when a person gets an organ transplant, oftentimes the body will turn on that new organ and attack it. We call this transplant rejection. The combination of the old and new leads to a civil war within the body. This is no different here with our new hearts from God. The old flesh, which is still being redeemed by God, waiting to be redeemed by God, sees our new hearts and declares war against it. And so how do we fight well against the flesh in these moments? How do we battle against our, our tongue when it wants to say something hurtful, toxic? Well, just like organ transplants, we need help. We need help. We need powerful medicine prescribed by a good physician. And Proverbs 15 actually tells us what this prescription is for our condition. This isn't a comprehensive list. Really, you need to read all of Proverbs to get it all. But I'll give you two from Proverbs 15. First is listen to the words of your heavenly Father. This is verse five. Through his word, God has instructed us on how we are to live. Furthermore, he has ordained that our new hearts would be strengthened through his word, medicated on scripture. Our hearts are given what it needs to endure well and to wage war against the flesh. 
To skip the discipline of reading God's word and sitting under its teaching is like a patient who impatiently asks their doctors, why am I not getting better? Meanwhile, their prescription drugs are sitting in the cabinet unopened. I understand we're busy people. Some of us are tired parents. Others of us have busy deadlines, big deadlines. I get it, and God sees it, and I think God gets it too. There's a lot of grace for you, but that doesn't mean we get to shortcut renewal, shortcut healing. If all you have is five minutes a day to sit in God's Word, I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. I think God would be so happy to take that, that small dose and use it for great benefit for you. The Word might be a hard pill to swallow at times, and it might even be tiresome to have to do it. But in the end, though, according to God's Word, you'll be better for it. And so I encourage you, Listen to the words of your Heavenly Father. The second prescription, and we're almost done, is practice. And all the antithetical Proverbs implied in the Proverbs is an expectation that we would apply them to daily life. For example, verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge. In in verse 7, we are encouraged to make it a habit to speak, as Howard McPhee would call it, productively. To look for ways to speak true words in loving ways. This doesn't mean we can't correct one another, we can't call out one another's sin. No, it says we just do it in a way that is marked by love and full of grace. And if you don't know where to start, I encourage you to ask yourself, what does the gospel, what does the gospel have to say to this person in front of me? Especially when you're in confrontation or you're facing someone who's experiencing grief, you can ask, what does the gospel have to say to this person? If you're someone who's struggling with guilt right now, Guilt over how you've wielded your words in the past week. That was me this morning, on Friday, on Wednesday, when I was looking at my sermon. How can we practice? I encourage you to start with prayer. Prayer is an opportunity for us to practice heart-renewed words to God. Confess your sin. Confess your sin to God and ask Him for help. This is how we can practice. God has given us new hearts in Christ, and He's given us powerful prescriptions to help strengthen our new hearts. The question is, will you walk in them? As we conclude, Proverbs 15 verses 1 to 10 has shown us the power of the tongue and the source of that power. We live in a toxic world filled with toxic words, but this doesn't have to be our pattern forever. Breaking the pattern with the culture in Christ, we have the freedom to walk with grace, grace of a new heart overflowing with new words. Words that heal, words that redeem, words that renew, words that build up, words that give life. Let's pray. God, at this time, the words that come to mind are your words in Psalm 19 that you give for us as a church to pray when we don't know what to say. And so we pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, O Lord, be pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. Help us, O Lord. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have time for a few questions here for Q&A. I love Q&A, and so if you have a question, feel free to send them in. Um, if I don't get through all of them today, you can email me at kingsley at gracetoronto.ca, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to get back to you with those ones. Um, 
The first question we have here is, if you have hard words for a friend that may be hard but intended for good, how do you reconcile that with these passages? So let me read that again. If you have hard words for a friend that may be hard but intended for good, how do you reconcile that with these passages? This passage is not saying that you can't speak hard words for a friend. It's saying, how do you speak it? Okay? Um, How do you reconcile this with these passages? Basically, this proverb is asking us to really question the heart underneath it all. More often than not, when we come to our friends and we want to give them a hard word, it's either because we're indignant, we're frustrated, we're angry, and before you even open your mouth, you should really tame that, that anger. Deal with your own anger first, because if, you're deal- if you have that, it's going to become really hard to speak a, a hard word lovingly to a person. Um, and so, if you have a hard word for a friend that may be hard but intended for good, how do you reconcile with these passages? Check your heart first. And then after checking your heart, remember the point about practicing gospel-centered words? Ask yourself, how does the gospel speak into this? And I assure you, if you're able to preach the gospel to yourself and receive the gospel for yourself, you know how to speak the gospel to other people. And so give that to that person. Use that to help that person. Okay, second question. Any thoughts on social media use as it pertains to this topic? How should Christians engage conversation online, if at all? Um, I think it's okay for Christians to engage in conversation online. Uh, I do wonder in terms of its efficacy, in the sense that oftentimes if you're talking, if we're online, we're all strangers. And so sometimes, as a stranger, my words hold very little weight. And so in terms of preference, my preference is if I'm going to have a conversation with someone, I want to get to know them first. I want to get to know what makes them tick. I want to know, I want to be able, I want to, be able to ask follow-up questions. I want to be able to interact with them. I want to be able to ex- understand what tone they're speaking to me in, and I want them to be able to understand my tone to them, style and substance. And so, preferably, I would say if you're able to, if it's a friend you're talking to, avoid the online part. Give them a call. Give them a call, ask them to go out for a, a walk or go to a patio and talk about it with, these, with them. In greater conversations and in wider conversations, there are forums for us, you know, as uh, if, if say like the, the government is taking a poll or there's a forum for the, the community to discuss these things and it's an online forum, I would even suggest contacting the, the, the people that organize these forums and say, hey, can we do this in person? And maybe, just maybe, you might be able to see each other's style and substance and respond in a way that would be helpful. If you do insist on using online, which I'm not saying you can't, always ask yourself this question. How is this person on the other side going to interpret my words? Is there a chance that they're going to interpret it as aggression or passive aggressiveness? or something harsh or unhelpful, or is it something that's going to be contributive in building and productive? If you're not sure, you're probably wiser to not speak. You're probably wiser not to write. And you'd have to read the rest of the Proverbs on their words to give you wisdom on that and to, to see how that, that's an answer. Uh, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, just, as you know, just for funsies, uh, if you didn't know, there's uh, over 150 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs about words. So what we've looked at today, these 10 verses are just a snapshot, okay? You've got about 140 more to read, and it will give you good wisdom on matters like this. 
I'll take one more question. Jeff is giving me the eye here, saying that I need to speed it up. And uh, <laughs> okay, uh, can you comment on the Lord's instruction of controlling our tongues and actions versus the modern-day advice to stand up for ourselves, practicing tit for tat, and being deliberate in our snide comments? Well, I would say that how I would ask the question: How has the tit for tat snide comment remark been working for you? How has it been working for our culture? According to the Oxford Dictionary, peoples, since 2018, so we've been, what, four, three years? My math's pretty bad. Uh, for a long number of years, we have tried to reverse course, but we haven't done very well at it. And so, what the gospel is saying is that there is another way to speak, a better way to speak, a way that can speak to win people to good, win people so that they might flourish, win people so that they might be renewed. That's the gospel way. And so I would submit to you to heed the gospel way and to see that the way of this world has failed us and to turn to Christ and follow his way. Amen. Jeff, I invite you to come and lead us to a time of reflection. Thank you. <laughs>